Good morning and welcome to the Vine Community Church. Welcome to our online service. Um, it is great to have you with us. This week is the second week of Lent and we're going to continue our focus on uh, Jesus and his run-up to the cross. What that means for us, both in historic terms, but also in our lives today. But before we do that, we're going to worship. So let's pray, let's take up an attitude of worship, and let's worship our God. Father God, we thank you that no matter how we meet, whether it's in person or digitally, you are there. So we invite you into our homes and we invite you into our lives now. Holy Spirit, come and join with us as we sing praise, as we speak words of adoration, as we choose to spend time with you. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. And I see it now. Laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand, I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. I run to the Father. Fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, again. been in your sights long before 
take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn
you know, it's always good to worship together. It doesn't matter whether we come into a building, whether we're with a few friends, or whether we just turn on the radio in the car and we just sing about our God. For some reason, it just seems to lift my mood, it lifts my spirit, and the world seems a, a better place to be. I said at the beginning, this is the second week of Lent. This year, you will have noticed if you're part of this church, if you've been listening into services for a while, we've not focused much on the prospect of giving something up for Lent, which is something that we do and many Christians do. And some of us will have done that ourselves. But we didn't want to focus on that uh, as a church this uh, Lent season because, to be fair, I think we've all given up lots over the last 12 months. We've been forced to or we've chosen to for the benefit of those around us that would be more vulnerable to the virus. But giving things up is not the only thing we focus on in Lent. Another key element of Lent is that of perseverance and forbearance, of carrying on the Christian life no matter what circumstances are thrown at us. And wow, what circumstances have been thrown at some of us over this last year. This Lent time, perseverance is the thing that we're focusing on. We're focusing on being God's children and being good Christians, good neighbours, and generally treading a path towards a goal that is not found in gold or silver, but is found in that relationship we have with God today and always into eternity. This morning, we continue to look through the Gospels at the life of Jesus as he takes up his ministry and progresses to the point of the cross. And the passage I want to look at today is Matthew 3, and it's verses 13 to 17. And this takes place immediately before the events in the wilderness that we looked at last week. Matthew 3 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptised by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptised. When Jesus was baptised, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We'll pick up um, on this passage a little bit later. Because I want to start today 
by taking us back into the Old Testament. I want to take us back into the Old Testament to the, to the book of Samuel, and I want to talk about the choosing of King David. The events of the story that we're about to unpack and the events that happened at the baptism of Jesus seem a million miles apart. Indeed, they were a thousand years apart. But there are parallels in those stories that speak directly into the relationship we can have with God today. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as a king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Samuel asked, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, Take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint, to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and said, Certainly, the Lord's anointed one is here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinabab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah. But Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. In this story, 
we see God pass over those that were qualified or seemingly well positioned for kingship. He passed over those that were strong, those that were eldest, those that had got experience. And instead, he picked out David. David was the youngest. He was the least experienced. He was the one that was given the menial tasks of looking after the sheep. He'd not got the rights to inherit and he'd got, not got the rights to represent his family in business. He was a nothing. So why did God choose David? We've read that the prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint a son of Jesse to be king, to be Saul's successor. Jesse's eldest, Eliab, was of an impressive physical size, just as Saul had been, causing Samuel to remark, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But we then read in verse 7, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So does that mean that God chose David to be king because he had a good heart? It would be easy to make that assumption and trip over this verse, concluding indeed that God chose David because when he looked at his heart, he saw some inherent goodness. In other words, we can conclude that, that God chose David because king, to be king because he had a heart that was good and therefore he'd be a good king. And we may make from that the assumption that, that God chooses people in the same way that man does. He chooses them by looking at their attributes and going, is this a good person? You know, man will often choose somebody that looks good outwardly. Maybe God does the same, but just chooses people that look good on the inside. And that would be quite a positive thing for some of us to do. Some of us to go, well, actually, I'm a generally good person. I'm nice to people. I, I, you know, I, I don't do too many things wrong. I'm just in a bad situation. Therefore, God will look at the goodness of me. We will look at all the good things. I'll be able to win favour by coming to church or putting some money in a collection box or, or lending, no, in fact, giving a bowl of sugar to my neighbour. But there's a real problem with that conclusion. In fact, there are five problems with that conclusion. Because it's simply not true. Let's just have a look at the story of David and let's see whether God chooses him because he's inherently good. The first problem is, the goodness of David's heart is not affirmed in the text. In fact, the only description of David comes in verse 12, where it says, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. It therefore seems that, that David had good outward appearance, but nothing is mentioned about the state of his heart. 
It doesn't say whether they've got a good heart or a bad heart. The only thing we can really conclude, because he was walking around, was that he did indeed, indeed, have a beating heart. The second issue is that later on in Samuel, in chapter 17, verse 28, David's brother suggests that David might not be quite the nice person that we've jumped to the conclusion that he has. That he is actually motivated by a presumptuous and a, an evil heart. 1 Samuel 17.28 says, David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep within the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Perhaps Eliab is simply a jealous older brother who is still sulking because he was passed over. Or perhaps the narrative of the story is using Eliab in both chapters to reveal twin truths. First, that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. And second, though chosen by God, David is as flawed on the inside as the rest of us. The people who knew him didn't think he had a good heart. The third problem is that the story of David that we can read in chapters 1 and 2 of Samuel does not paint a picture of a man with a good heart. We see voyeurism, adultery, conspiracy, deceit, murder. By his own admission, David is in desperate need of inner transformation. He cries out in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. David's behaviour, his history, doesn't support that he was a generally all-round nice guy with a good heart. The fourth thing is it doesn't fit with our understanding of the way God treats us. The son of David, Jesus, the Messiah, underlines the fact that God does not choose people because they have a good heart. In Mark 10, 18, we read, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. This denies the ability to conclude that David a human was chosen because he was in possession of a good heart. The final problem with that idea that God chose David to be king because of some inherent goodness in him is that it causes a problem for me and my position with God. If David had a good heart meriting his selection by God to replace Saul, then I have a serious theological problem because I don't have a good heart. I know it's broken. I know it's not clean. I know it's not always right. I know I need Jesus. God doesn't choose by the merits of how good your heart is. We, each of us, me and you, 
are chosen by God's grace in spite of our wicked or corrupted or merely human hearts. And that is the same for David. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what was it about David that caused God to choose him? His heart was fundamentally no different from yours or mine. It was not naturally good. He wasn't born with specific genes that made him able to, to be, to be uh, perfect in this world. He wasn't made any differently. But yet we read in 1 Samuel 13, 14, 1 Kings 11, 4, and 6, and 33, and 38, and 1 Kings 15, 3, and 11, and in 2 Kings 14, 3, and in uh, 2 Kings 16, 2, and even in Acts 13, 22, that David is held up as a man with a heart for God. We can see it in 1 Samuel 13, 14, which says, But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. It's talking about David here. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not done what the Lord commanded. David is held up not as having a good heart, but simply of having an obedient and a teachable heart. David is a perfect example of heart obedience and covenant keeping. And yet, even as we can see Throughout his checkered history, he got it wrong time and time again. David, though, kept coming back to God. And that is what was special about the heart of David. He recognized when he was not in the right place and he would return to God. And he would allow God to teach him to transform him, to make him that little bit more resilient, that little bit more, more compassionate, that little bit more obedient. And he would get it wrong, but he would come back to God. Last week I focused on Psalm 32 verse 1, which says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David is another proof of that statement. David went as far as declaring just that. We read David's words as quoted by Paul in the book of Romans. In Romans 4 verses 7 and 8 we read this, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Back in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and all the other verses that I rattled through and you probably never got, but I'll pop in the comments at the end of the video. In all those verses that portray David as having been perfect and righteous, God is not looking 
at David's heart directly as it is. God is looking at David's heart as it will be through the lens of God's forgiveness and restoration as David's sins are forgiven and covered. God looks at David based on what he would be with God's grace and compassion applied and not the state of his heart at that time. What does that have to do with the baptism of Jesus? Well, we see in Matthew 3, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And we see that Jesus is baptized by John. He's baptized as a representation of cleansing, as, an, as a prophetic declaration that Jesus would be taking all of mankind's sin. John protests that he's not the person to baptize Jesus and that Jesus should baptize him. But Jesus knows this step is needed to fulfill prophecy, to set the stage for what would happen later on the cross and beyond. This time when this happened is before Jesus' ministry started. He'd done nothing for God. He'd done nothing to change history. And yet we still hear these words as he comes out of the waters of baptism. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When we come to God, he looks at each of us in the same way. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. It doesn't matter whether we're coming to God for the first time, or we're coming back to God after time away, or even if we're coming back to God for the sixth time this week because we keep getting it wrong. He looks at us through that lens of grace and that forgiveness he covers our sins and says you are my beloved and with you I am well pleased doesn't matter whether we're of a background that people would say is good or privileged or if you're from the wrong side of the road. If you lived in the places that people would choose not to. It doesn't matter what your outside appearance is, whether you dress in the most fashionable or you own two sweatshirts and a pair of jeans. Whether you're rich, poor, old, young. God welcomes you as you come the first time or the 99th time. Because God looks at our hearts. And he looks at our hearts, he looks at your heart through the mediation of Jesus. 
from what happened here. What we will look at in a few weeks' time as we go through Good Friday and Easter Sunday and beyond. He doesn't look at your sin. He doesn't look at your transgressions, your slip-ups, your mistakes. He doesn't look at what you've done for others or you've done against others. He doesn't care whether you've got a church background or have never stepped in a church building before. He doesn't care whether you've watched this video and videos like it every day since the beginning of lockdown or you've stumbled on this while looking for something else. He doesn't care whether you come as a repentant person with a rebellious heart or whether you've got the head knowledge of Jesus and you're coming with an obedient heart. God sees you as justified, just as he did David. He longs for your heart to be transformed to an obedient, teachable one. But God takes you today as you are. And he looks at you and says, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. When God looked at David, he didn't see David as he was. Rather, God saw David as he was when he was with God through Jesus. So why did God choose David? It wasn't because he'd got a good heart. God simply chose David because God chose David. We're never told the reason why. Romans 9 tells us this. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. It's clear from that passage that it's in the choosing and in the choosing alone that David's heart was declared to be good. And the same is true for you and me. My heart is not naturally good. If we were together in this building, I would say that nobody in this place's heart was naturally good either. Neither is anybody who's watching this video and yet, it is a simple fact that God chose me and he chose many of you. And there's an open invitation to all who come to him today for you to recognize him as Lord in your life. And in that action of God choosing you and accepting you and you accepting God, then hearts that are wicked, deceitful, lukewarm, 
nondescript, or whatever you would describe your heart as, are declared to be good by the righteousness of Jesus. When we come to God, or we come back to God, he does not see the stains of the past or our natural state. He sees you and declares, this is my beloved, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. It's not based on what you've done or what you might go on to do in the richness of God's love. It's based simply on what Jesus has done. And I want to give you the opportunity to come before God and for God to see you, to see your heart through the filter of grace and mercy. You might not have done this before, you may have done this countless times, but it's good for us to come back to God and to go, I am accepted, I'm loved, and God is pleased with me. Not because of what I do, but because of who I am, who God is. So we're going to pray. You might want to pray these words with me. Dear God, I know I've done wrong in my life. And I thank you that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross and rose from the dead to show his power over sin and death. I know that I am one with the world, but I want to be one with Jesus. Help me to know that I am forgiven and help me to live for you each and every day. I thank you that you are a loving union of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I thank you that all light and love and life is found in you. I thank you that you love me and have invited me into a relationship with you. You might want to say amen if you've prayed that. And as you do say that, God says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. That prayer is the start of a journey. If you've prayed that, why not get in touch with us to hear what can happen next and let us support you. If you're not local or for whatever reason you would be better off continuing your journey with Jesus elsewhere, then we'd be pleased to help you connect with somewhere that is local and suitable for you. We continue this week to travel together through Lent. We've got prayer tonight at 7 o'clock on Zoom. And on Wednesday, we continue our midweek group again on Zoom. If you need the details, please ask. I want to finish with the words from 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God 
of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, while lockdown's on, maybe a friendly bump of the elbow. But whatever, all the saints send greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a fantastic day. Try and catch up with the other people around you and be the light of God in the world. Thank you.